You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. All right, so our focal passage this morning is John 21, 15 through 19. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Anytime if you need a Bible, you can see the connections desk and they'll get you one. And it will also be on the screens. Jesus and Peter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. And when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat and the kids can now be dismissed to their class. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here of the village. Good to see you all today. Uh, Yeah, not closing out John today. Next week, we will close out John. Uh, David Krecklau, who is, where you at, buddy? Where are you? What an overachiever. He's serving today. Um, He is an elder candidate. He'll be preaching for the first time, and we gave him the task of closing out the entire sermon series, so I'm sure he feels great about that. Um, He'll do an awesome job. I can't wait to hear him. So uh, a couple things real quick at the beginning of this gathering. Um, First, an announcement thingy. Uh, For baptisms today, our Kville dismissal schedule is a little bit different. Uh, We want everybody to be out here for, uh, for celebrating baptisms, and so the way that'll play out, uh, if you've got kids in uh, the baby, the toddler, or the preschool rooms, um, then when we start singing songs right after the sermon, uh, go get your kids uh, right at that point in time. Go back there and get them. Um, if you have kids in the K through 6th grade classes, um, they will be brought out to you uh, later towards the end of those songs, trying to stagger those so uh, to cut down on confusion. I will remind you at the end of the sermon to go do that, what's about to happen or whatever, but just a heads up. That's what will happen so that we can all be out here to celebrate uh, new life in Jesus. Uh, secondly, uh, welcome back, uh, like Rick said, to the ladies who are at the women's retreat this weekend. Can't wait to hear all about it. It's our first one. Bravo, you all. I, well, I guess I don't know if everyone survived. Uh, I haven't heard reports yet, but um, I'm going to assume that that's the case. Um, and then uh, lastly, just for a note for this particular sermon, uh, we usually kind of get to go through uh, passages chunk by chunk, and they're nice and neat, and that's a little bit true this week, but there's also a little bit of stuff we'll kind of layer over, like an onion, kind of peel back some different things, and so it'll just be a little less clean on uh, sermon notes or whatever, and that's okay. Uh, it's kind of a, a different text today, and so that's what that might look like uh, this morning. Before we hop in, uh, would you just pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thanks for mornings um, when we get to bring our uh, exhaustion 
Uh, we get to bring our excitement about what you might do. Um, we get to bring our guilt and our shame. We get to bring our hope um, and our fear. We get to bring our assurance and also our doubts and our insecurities. We get to bring all those things with us here this morning. Um, and we do get to offer our heart to you. It gets to be yours. Um, and I pray this morning that you would do what you will in our hearts. Uh, maybe that's soften them, break them. Maybe that is reinforce them with gospel truth. Whatever it is, God, we pray that as we look at what it means to be confronted by Jesus, um, that the fear and the anxiety that might pop up in our hearts, our desire to hide from you or deny what might be true about us or in our life, God, that we would not do that, that we would drop walls and that we would let ourselves be confronted by your grace and your greater love and your forgiveness for us this morning. That doesn't just keep us, but it sends us and commissions us in a really sweet way into your mission. Uh, God, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for uh, the Holy Spirit who is in us and with us this morning. Thanks for being a good dad. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, campfire smoke for me, um, it's a little bit like a, it's like a time machine um, in some ways. Anytime I sit around a, a fire in uh, my backyard or somebody else's backyard, uh, the Meyer Farm, whatever, I am instantly taken back to Sunday nights uh, in some guy's backyard when I was in college um, every week uh, where we talked between uh, the years of 2003 and 2007 about life. Uh, we sat around a fire pit together uh, on a brick patio and we just talked about you know grief and conflict and probably really dumb stuff because we were college students right but we just talked about all of the things and that all happened while we just watched a fire burn on this brick patio at this older guy's house uh in oxford we just we just watched that burn way into the night that was a really sweet time for me we got smoke in our eyes the whole time that you've experienced that you get up and like ah oh, it blows this way and then you get up and go over here and then it blows that way we just were all covered in smoke we would get it all in our eyes all over our clothes and so we'd go back to our dorms and we'd smell it there and then we'd put on whatever the next day and we'd still smell the smoke because we're college kids and we don't do laundry right and so uh, it would just smell like smoke the whole time um, but every time I smell it whether it was like like that 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 smoke the day after right when we hung out on Sunday night or 20 years later like today when I'm hanging out at man camp or whatever, I smell that campfire smoke and it reminds me of those times. And, and not necessarily a time in particular, but it reminds me of like that place in general where I could be safe and I could be, I felt vulnerable uh, and I could be challenged and confronted in a really sweet way personally and relationally. And to this day, again, even at man camp or in people's backyards, like, dude, I, I love being around a campfire with a bunch of guys. That is my jam. Like I love that stuff, that's my place. I would live around a campfire uh, if I possibly could because I felt safe and seen and loved around so many of them uh, in my past. Smells, tastes, things that we see, like our senses can take us back to times and places that experiences have stamped on our memory with meaning. And I'm sure you guys have some of those of your own. Uh, last week, Pastor Adam preached through the story of Jesus on the shore with his disciples. He's making breakfast on the beach after a night at sea. Uh, they were, his disciples were trying to catch some fish, right? And Jesus uh, was trying to take his disciples back in their minds to the beginning. Three years earlier, when Jesus first met some of the disciples while they were fishing, uh, and, and he called them away from their nets to become fishers of men. Got the sound of the sea, the nets, like in their hands, the 
wonderful smell of fish, right? All those things. He recreated this scene for them. Three years later, brought them back because they'd been through a lot, Jesus and his disciples. Jesus had been betrayed. He'd been arrested. He'd been killed. And then he rose from the dead. And so he was trying to show his disciples that while in some ways, like everything had changed, a lot had happened. Also in a lot of ways, like even after his own death, not much had changed. He was still the same Jesus and they were still his disciples. But Jesus set up this particular scene with Peter especially in mind. A meal, a conversation, and a charcoal fire to keep warm by after a long night. One of the things that they'd been through together, Peter and Jesus, was that Peter denied Jesus. He pretended like he never even knew Jesus, and and Jesus knew about it. Jesus actually predicted that that would happen. After the last meal that they shared together, they had a conversation, and, and then Jesus said to Peter that he would deny knowing him three times that very night. And sure enough, that night, after Jesus was arrested, Peter followed him to the high priest's courtyard, and a servant girl Uh, at the door, said to Peter, you're not one of his disciples, are you? You don't know this guy? And Peter said, I'm I'm not. It's the first denial. And then John wrote this. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing around and warming themselves. Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. And Peter was asked again, and he denied Jesus again, two times, and then again, a third time. And so Jesus, however many days or weeks later, he builds a charcoal fire on a beach, makes a meal, and he wants to have a conversation. And after they've eaten, he asks Peter three questions. Not, do you know me? Do you love me? Jesus was taking the disciples back to the beginning of his relationship with them, but he was taking Peter back to a low point, maybe the lowest point of their relationship. Jesus was confronting Peter, and that, that sounds like a bad time, right? Like some of us hate confrontation, especially when it involves someone that you know is right, and Jesus is always right, right? Who wants to be confronted by that guy? And so you can imagine Peter with a, a full belly, having uh, just broken bread with Jesus and now sitting by the warmth and the smell of a charcoal fire, his brain is there. He is remembering. And on the inside, he's just like, please don't bring it up, 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 right? And then Jesus brings it up. He starts talking. He's like, ah, he's bringing it up. But, but Jesus, he's not trying to rub Peter's nose in his failures. He doesn't condemn him, right? He doesn't fire him from being one of his followers. That's not what he does. That's not what Jesus does with the people who are already his. Jesus confronts his people because he loves them, right? because, because they're already and always on his team, and he wants them to be a part of what he is doing. And so in a, a beautiful Jesus kind of way, Jesus confronts Peter over his past sin in order to commission him once again, into a future of ministry. And that kind of confrontation over our sin, over the lies that we let ourselves believe, sometimes about ourselves or Jesus, all of it, he does that to send us into a future filled with a purpose and belonging. That is how Jesus confronts us. 
And so our main idea this morning, we get to look at and take away from this, is that Jesus commissions us by confronting us. So let's look at the first uh, few verses in our focal passage, John 21, 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Point one this morning is this, that Jesus confronts us with our lesser love. Um, Anyone ever play the I love you more game at all? That thing? That we do like when you're on the phone or, or texting someone back and forth, mom, dad, kids, significant other, whatever, and you say, ah, I love you. And then, uh, and then they say, I love you more. And all of a sudden you're instantly in this like moral dilemma of sorts because like, like you, just, you just say nothing and receive it as a thing, right? You just take it and receive it, as, but at the risk of the other person being like, wait, wait, wait. Do I actually love them more? Do they love me less, Right? then I love them. Uh, or what you can do is like, uh, you're the one that starts like circling the cul-de-sac, right? And so it's like, oh, no, I love you more. No, I love you more. No, I, and then who's the first one to get off of that, right? And so you have a moral dilemma when that particular thing starts happening. It's like a game of chicken, right? Like who's swerving first in that? So it kind of sounds like a little bit Jesus is playing his own version, right, of that game here. Do you, do you love me more than them? Right? Do, do, you, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter's like, yep, yep, yeah, Jesus, yes, I I love you. You know that I love you. It kind of sounds a little desperate or a little antagonizing maybe of Jesus to like question Peter's love over and over and over again. But there's some stuff happening under the hood here. Uh, We don't bust out the Greek, all right? Very often we don't dive into like original language stuff all the time. But uh, English does not let us see the full picture of what is actually being talked about. This back and forth. There are are multiple words in Greek for the word love, which is the language that that John wrote this in, in, in Greek. And he uses two of those words for love here. He uses agape and philia. Agape is this like really strong, deep, intimate, uh, other-centered kind of love. It is the most love. And, and philia is kind of like this brotherly love or, or a, a friendship kind of love. It's why Philadelphia is called the, the city of brotherly love. That's where that comes from. And so uh, if we paraphrase this back and forth a bit about love in, in some more common English terms, it might sound more like this. And this back and forth will be up there too. Jesus says like, like, do you love me with the most love, e- even more than you love these guys? Lord, you know I love you like a bro. Okay, Jesus says, do, do you love me with the most love? Lord, you know I love you like a bro. Now, all right, uh, hey, Peter, do you love me like a bro? Lord, you know literally everything. Like, you know that I love you like a bro. Jesus starts high. All right, with his bar of love. He starts really, really high. And then he knocks it down a peg each time until he finally gets to where Peter is in his love. 
And, and this is actually a huge win uh, for Peter because Peter, like Peter's the guy that tells Jesus that he'd take a bullet for him, right, in a heartbeat. Uh, he, would like, he was the one who, who like tried to cut off somebody's ear. He swung for the head when someone was trying to arrest Jesus. He hit him in the ear, right? But he was swinging for the head. He tried. Uh, and even last week when he's on a fishing boat, he hears that Jesus is on the shore and he leaps out of the boat and he swims to shore and he left everyone else on the boat. Like, and it was his idea to go out on the boat in the first place, but he just left everyone else there, right? And so Peter, he rides high. He is very confident and zealous in his love for Jesus, and he also flames out really hard. That's just Peter's MO. He, he misses the point. He speaks out of turn. He denies Jesus, right? Not once, twice, but three times. And, and so this might not be the first time, right? But it's certainly one of the only times where Peter doesn't overestimate himself, he doesn't overestimate his love and his zeal for Jesus. He loves Jesus. He really does. He loves Jesus and a level head and his grief over his sin and him being in the presence of Jesus, right? Who he knows like he can't, can't wiggle stuff around, right? All of that presses him to say that he loves Jesus, but he, he doesn't love him as much as he wishes he did or as much as he has said that he loves him sometimes. Jesus, I don't love you more. Not this much, not this much. I love you this much. When I first uh, told Kelly, my wife, um, that I loved her in the basement of Tappan Hall on the North Quad of Miami's campus in Oxford, Ohio, um, we were sitting across the table from each other. I said the words, right? Um, and you know what she said? Nothing. In fact, I think she started crying. So I was like, oh my gosh, I broke her. Like, she doesn't do this. Like, that doesn't happen. What is going on? Uh, and so I was like, well, that was a good run, I guess. You know, on the next one or whatever. Uh, look, we got married. And so uh, she eventually said the words back to me, I think, that night. Um, and, and she doesn't th say things that she doesn't mean, all right? So I know it wasn't a, a pity, uh, I love you or whatever. But listen, there are a few things more emotionally and relationally vulnerable than being the first person to express your feelings to another human, not knowing at all, right, what you are going to get back uh, in return. It can be the story that you tell at your wedding, right, or it can be a, uh, the, like the most embarrassing thing on the planet that you don't want to tell anyone, or it can be a sermon illustration, right, uh, can turn into that as well. But like, like for the, the love, how the love that we hope we might have for one another, right, the love that we hope is reciprocated, like will she, will she love me back? Like, does she love me back? Do, do they like me too? Like, would they say I'm their best friend? Like, that hope that we have for one another, is, that, that is not the hope that the Lord has for us when he expresses his love for us. Jesus knows that you don't love him as much as he loves you. Jesus knows that you have a lesser love. That, that you don't love him as much as you sometimes say that you do. As much as sometimes the lyrics that we say and the songs that we sing, as much as we might wish that we felt when we pray and we, and we tell him that we love him in our prayers. If you walked into this room this morning wanting to hide or wanting to put on a show for the Lord or for the people around you to, to convince maybe even yourself that you love the Lord more than you actually do, Jesus would love to confront you over that this morning. You don't have to do that. You might just love him like a bro. And he still loves you with the most 
love. And, and that is a lopsided relationship for sure. And, and that is the gospel. That's the good news. Right? That God so loved the world. Agape love. The most love. That he sent Jesus into our world that so whoever believes in him might not die in the end but have eternal life. Jesus loves you more and he loved you first, and he said it first, right? And whether we say nothing in response, or we rebel, and we run away even harder than that, or we let ourselves believe it, that love is still his, and it's still true, and it's still there to be believed. Jesus didn't take a risk on loving us. Jesus doesn't risk things. He does things. He starts things. He keeps things. He finishes things. He saves things. There's no risk involved in Jesus loving Peter or in Jesus loving us. He accomplishes what he sets out to do. Is there a cost? Absolutely. Right? But, but he gets what he wants always. His love is not dependent on your love for him. You can't stop it. You can't cheapen it. Jesus confronts Peter and us on our lesser love. He already sees it. He knows how much we love him, and he wants us to see it too, not to just rub our nose in it, but so he can confront us with the good news of his greater love that doesn't just say like, yeah, like it's fine. You can still be in, right? You can still be around. You can still be one of us. But it says, yeah, and I still want to use you, right? I, I still want you, Peter, to feed my lambs and to tend my sheep and to feed my sheep. Jesus' greater, greater love doesn't let us just stick around. His greater love invites us to be a part of what Jesus is doing and what he has planned to do all along. And that starts by knowing that kind of love ourselves. And sometimes the only way for us to believe how big that love really is, is for him to confront us on it. I know for a lot of us that love is already hard to believe, but especially when we put it on the other side of a, of a confrontation, no matter what side of the table you're on, that's tough. Like when the Lord convicts of sin or a, a lack of maturity or a lack of wisdom, and this can happen like spontaneously, it can happen through thought or prayer or through reading the word. It can be somebody telling you, hey, like we need to sit down and have a chat about something. Like when God confronts us in any way, the gospel gives us a promise that the most love is on the other side of that. And it's through all of that. And this should mark our Christian conflict, our Christian confrontation. This kind of love should be the thing that carries any confrontation that we ever have from beginning to end. And there might be some real grief. And there might be some, some real hurt like, like Peter felt uh, and like Jesus felt, real denial or betrayal. There can be real difficulty and frustration and it's messy, but whatever the combination of those things might be, those things don't have to exclude this kind of love. It gets to be the foundation and the goal and the thing that holds the people of God together, sometimes in tension. Every brother or sister in Christ, no matter what our, our beef might be. However it might turn out, we get to remember God still loves and commissions that person for his glorious purposes. And that includes us. And that's not a nice sentiment that we just kind of muster up. It is, it's a God-sent love and truth that we receive from him. We can look at the cross and we look at the empty tomb. We can look at the resurrection. We can look at the story for confirmation of that. And even when we don't feel it, we get to live in it 
And we get to offer it and operate in it and imagine how that changes things if it's true, because it is. So when we're in our uh, own charcoal fire moments of sorts, and we react to an impending confrontation, right? We just know it's coming by the Lord or with somebody else, and we just say like, oh, please don't bring it up, please don't bring it up, please don't bring it up, please don't bring it up. We say that over and over in our heads. What we're really maybe keeping ourselves from is receiving a greater love that we actually need, especially in those moments. A love that thrives in the face of our failure or our sin or our misunderstanding and our need for that love, not just one time, but over and over and over again, that's the next thing that we get to see here. So let's look at the next verse, John 21, 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking to Peter. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't wanna go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. It's the beginning of verse 19 in there too. Uh, Our second point this morning is this. Jesus confronts us with our lifelong need. We get to celebrate baptism today, right? Super sweet. Like these are genuinely our our favorite Sundays. We get to celebrate new life in Christ. And so for those of us who follow Jesus, like celebrating new life is just the best, right? Like you know that this is the greatest thing ever. And some of you might be here this morning, like just for this reason alone. And we're glad that you're here with us uh, today. But it also might have a weird effect on some of us uh, who follow Jesus, like peering into the joy and the excitement and potential of like what new life with Jesus might bring in someone else's life. It can make us reflect on our own life with Jesus and wonder like, gosh, where did that joy go? Where did that excitement like run off to? Like some campfire smoke reminding us of like sweeter, safer times. The waters of baptism can remind us of a fondness that we wished we enjoyed in our spiritual life today. And it might make us wish that we could go back. And I think one of the things that Jesus is trying to tell Peter here is that we, we never really left. Our need for grace and our need to be reminded of his grace and his love and his promises, we never outgrow that stuff. And Jesus points Peter to this lifelong need, first by pointing to, to everyone else's, right? He says, Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. When lambs are young, they can't fend for themselves, right? Uh, they're, they're dependent. They need to be fed. They need to be sheltered. Stay close to, to mom. And as they get older, they become sheep, uh, right? Maybe they can feed themselves a bit more. Uh, maybe they're helping care for, for their own lambs, but you still have to tend to them. You still have to protect them, right? Lead them to greener pastures and so on. And at some point, when they get older, you might need to feed them again, like you did at the start. Soften their food. Soak it in water. Give them some stuff to eat. Keeping them safe from the elements. It, it kind of comes full circle, that's the picture that Jesus is painting here for Peter, that his people, from new believers, folks that are just getting baptized, right, like all the way to his most seasoned, matured, experienced followers, they're going to need to be taken care of. And all of them, over the course of their life, will need to come back to even the most basic of things, the grace and the love and the promises of Jesus. And that's it's not a one-time loop, all right? 
We don't start there and just come back only one time. We don't come back there at the end of our life. The basics of the gospel are what we build our entire life on, and life will jostle us around. Where did that joy go, right? Where did that excitement run off to? All that potential in front of us, like what happened to that? And a lie that we believe that we should, that we should need the grace and the love of Jesus less today than we did at the beginning, like that lie will keep us from confronting reality and from the very source of our joy and our commission and our hope because it says we shouldn't need Jesus like that anymore. Ask Peter, the guy who fell on his face more than any of the other disciples, right? And the guy who Jesus is now commissioning to care for his people. Ask Peter if that's true. Peter was not an exception to the rule. And Peter, Jesus says, hey, when you were young, when you were a lamb, right? Uh, a young sheep, you got to get yourself dressed. You got to go about your day kind of however you wanted to. But when you're older, when, when you've been a sheep for a while, others will get you dressed and take you to places that you don't want to go. You too will find yourself in a place of need again for the millionth time, even at the end of your life. And whether or not Peter realizes it, Jesus is referring to Peter's death, which tradition holds was crucifixion, his hands outstretched and carried to a place that he did not want to go. Jesus has every expectation that Peter will grow up and he will mature and he will lead his people with greater wisdom over time, but Jesus has no expectation that Peter will ever outgrow his dependence on him. He needed him when he first met him. Right? He's needed him against, uh, again since then, like a bunch of times. He needs him again in this very moment, and he's going to need him again to the very end. And that is true for all of us as well. You're not a failure. Like, if you still need Jesus as much today as you did when you first met him, that doesn't make you one of his failures. That makes you one of his followers. Right? That, that is all of us, and the beautiful thing is that none of that gets in the way of what he has commissioned us to do, to make a big deal about how great he is and to tell others of his greater most love for the world. And we know that because even in Peter's greatest moment of need and, and probably his humiliation, which is not this conversation, it will be his death down the road. John says it will glorify the Lord. And for John, as he's writing these words, like that's not, that's not in the future. That's in the past. He's watched his buddy die. He, he knows how it went down. And he says that it brought God glory. And I promise you that in those final moments of Peter's life, he wasn't debating theological stuff in his mind or speculating about spiritual stuff that that just doesn't really have an answer. I guarantee you that Peter was clinging to the basic truths of the gospel while he was being crucified. His need for grace and love and, and the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus. And on the other side of his death, he finally got to experience those things in their fullness. Uh, now, I've spent more time in hospitals and assisted living facilities and hospices and those sorts of things, even just talking with folks young and old recently uh, who have things that hinder them from doing what they wish they could do, who find themselves maybe more dependent 
than ever. Found myself in those spaces more often. You hear John talk about being dressed by someone and, and, and carried and taken to places, and you're like, ah, that's, that's me. That's me right now. And sometimes the question creeps up, like, if that's true, then what, what good am I to the kingdom? What good am I to the church? Who am I? Like, if I can't help in the way that I, I want to, in the way that I used to, but now I'm the one that needs help. And if that's you, or if that's somebody that you love, I just want you to know that, that God's glory is found, and it is displayed when we recognize our need for him. And let him help. And let him remind us, let him carry us through things into places that we may not want to go, even when that place is into glory itself, from life to death to life again in the presence of God. That dependence and that demonstration can speak volumes and glorify the Lord to everyone around you. Sometimes the best way for us to fulfill our commission to feed and care for the flock is to model for the lambs and for the sheep what it means to still need Jesus and to still need the church after all this time. To need to be fed and cared for, even when it feels like we're going backwards. Not to deny our need, but to embrace it boldly as we did when we were first baptized. Those waters never dry up. You're still swimming in that same grace today, no matter what or who it is that might be confronting you in your life. This Christian thing boiled down isn't about what you can do for God. It's about what God has done for you. And there's coming a time when all of us like Peter won't ever have to glorify God through the hard stuff again, not through the humiliation of sin or suffering or death because what he's going to do is wipe away sin and suffering and death for good and all that's left will be good and it will be through good and good alone that we will get to enjoy the grace and the love and the promises of God and glorify him and enjoy him forever. That day's coming. And in the meantime, his invitation is the same to follow me. We'll close out with our last verse this morning, uh, the last half of John 21, 19. Jesus simply said to Peter, after this, he said to him, follow me. This is the third point in our closing. Uh, this is our lasting invitation that Jesus confronts us with. I have no idea how many other charcoal fires Peter would build or cook or warm himself by during the rest of his life. But my hope is that this encounter with Jesus, right, at this particular charcoal fire would redeem every future charcoal fire, that every smell of smoke from this day forward would remind him of Jesus' abundant grace and not the shame of his own sin, right? He has been redeemed, and, and so can all of his past mistakes. And so Jesus doesn't just take Peter back to his worst sin, right, to leave him there. He takes him all the way back to remind him of what's greater than that sin and to extend the same invitation that he gave to him and to the rest of the disciples at the beginning, which was to follow me. He's taking him back. Band, you guys can come on up. That invitation that Jesus extended to Peter and extended to his other disciples is the same one that he is also extending to you and to me today. Whether you've been around Jesus for years, right, like Peter, or whether you're brand new to Jesus, or maybe you've not decided to, to follow him 
yet. Whether or not you consider yourself a leader or someone who should know their stuff and like have it all together, he's inviting you to be a follower first and most. And today, in light of this passage, that means a few things. And we get to acknowledge our lesser love of Jesus and his greater love for us in spite of it all. We get to acknowledge our lifelong need and the eternal provision of Jesus through it all. And we also get to acknowledge that our lasting invitation, it is never withdrawn. It's never too late to accept it and it's never too many times to take him up on that again and again and again every day. To let him turn even the worst parts of our life into testimonies of his grace and his love and his promises and to send you back into the world on his mission with an even deeper love and appreciation of his greater love. All right, we get to acknowledge those realities in ourselves today. There'll be some questions to reflect on the screen that could help you sift through some of those things. Um, you can pray at your seats as you would like to at this time. You can sing with a band if you want to, fill out a connect card, let us know. We won't be taking communion today because we also get to, to celebrate those realities today by celebrating baptism right, in just a few moments. And so this is the time. Uh, if you are being baptized, go get yourself ready. If you have kids uh, in the, the baby toddler preschool rooms, when the band starts playing, go back and get them. The rest of the kids will come out later. But at this point in time, I want to just invite you to consider what the Spirit is stirring in you and respond accordingly. And hey, get ready to celebrate new life in Jesus.